Our Father, we ask that you would send your Spirit to show us uh, the excellencies of the Son, and that as a result of this class, you would fill and strengthen your worship at Advent, and uh, that the end game of that would be nothing short of the transformation of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we're looking at morning prayer. But before we do, as I want to do every week in class, I want to review these goals. We've got two goals for what we're accomplishing in class. The first goal is to help us better in, in our worship, connect head and heart. You know, Advent prides itself, thank God, on being a heady place where we think hard about theology, where we think hard about you know, lining ourselves up with what Scripture teaches. And so we emphasize scriptural teaching here. That's why Sunday school classes are filled. This is very abnormal for a church, for there to be so much, you know, so many people studying the Bible. It's gone by the wayside. And thank God that we're a different place here. But the goal is that we don't stay in the head, but connect it with the heart, right? Our second goal, as we look and process the liturgy together, is to tune our ears to hear the gospel in worship. So as we walk through the liturgy together, our goal is ultimately so that when we do this on a week-to-week basis, we're hearing the gospel with more clarity and we're receiving God's work on us. Remember, God's word is living and active. That means God is doing a work in and through his word and his word is moving in a variety of means, preaching, sacraments, prayer, scripture reading, all those ways God is active and actively pursuing you. To, I mean, as Mark preached today, you read Job, you see a very active word of God working on Job to kill and to make alive, right? So that's nothing short of what's happening in the worship service. And then uh, we discuss the heart of the prayer book. Again, unleashing the word of God to convert your heart. Yes, your heart, O converted one, who still needs yet more conversion uh, through the power of the gospel. Daily, We need to wake up in the morning and recognize that I'm in need of repentance today. And we'll get to that with morning prayer. Um, As you've been thinking about this over the last few weeks, any short, and and you've been going and worshiping weekly at Advent, any short testimonies about what God's been sort of working on your heart as we've been talking about this stuff for a few weeks and what you've been feeling and observing that may be a positive sign of like, ah, stuff's happening here. Any, Any testimonies from you all? Yeah. And not long ago, I said something at work that just made me feel so ashamed. And I got home and I got in bed with the covers over my head, like my son says <laughs> when he's ashamed. And mm. it was hearing repeated in my mind and ears, uh, but the Lord's property is always to have mercy. But the Lord's property is always to have mercy. Mm. And that was what, through the Holy Spirit, enabled me to move the covers, get out of bed, and accept the mercy of God. Mm. So... I'm very thankful for the liturgy that God uses to remind the truth of the gospel. Praise God that in that moment of guilt and shame, that the words of the liturgy that gave you the freeing word, that our God is a God whose property is always to have mercy, prayer of humble access, you know. We're not so so worthy as to gather up the crumbs of thy table, but thou, Lord, you're... Your property is always to have mercy. What a beautiful line. And praise God. Anything else God's been stirring in your heart? Yes? Um, I guess for the past two weeks, it's just sort of, don't let yourself get in the way of God's work. Mm. 
tell me about that. I'm interested if you will if you're willing to disclose a little bit more. Well, what do you what are you feeling? We have our ways that we like to do things and, and it's just you know, and some and God is working he, he's working his way and and I come from a family of knuckleheads. Mm. <laughs> you're the only one. That's weird. <laughs> you're very odd that way. And, uh, it's just that through our own desire like to resolve issues or to uh, mm. tackle it one way, we're interfering with God, God's plan mm. to resolve the problems. And you feel like God's, the, the living and active word is impressing that upon you as you're worshiping these weeks? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, re- I remember and I've been getting some feedback and I knew I would when I talked last week about how it, our liturgy can actually be something that helps us hold God at arm's length and not let God do that work on us. And I was trying to encourage us that liturgy should be more like clear glass than stained glass. We're not here to worship it, to look at it, but look through it to Christ. And it's only good. Our liturgy is only as good as it does that work and allows the word of God. And there's this beautiful active interchange between God sort of bearing down on us in worship and us surrendering to that bearing down. And I hear you saying, I'm I'm starting to put my hands up a little bit more, which is good, because the Hound of Heaven, he's an awfully, uh, he's, a, he's, he's a pursuing God, you know? His property is always to have mercy, and because he wants to have mercy, he's going to pursue you to get to that point where you finally put your hands up and go, I give, uncle, I cry uncle, right? That's a lot of what the liturgy is, is getting you to the place where you're crying uncle so that God can go, okay, son, okay, daughter, I've got you now, you know? I love that, I love that. All right, uh, I want to hear more testimonies as we go. I want to talk about the journey of morning prayer. And I want to describe it like this. Um, in, in the liturgy, if you had, if I outlined all of the movements of morning prayer that are in our order of worship, this is what it would look like. Ah! Overwhelming, right? Oh my goodness. Like, how do I make sense of that? Especially if you flip. These are all the titles that exist in your order of worship when you go. And, uh, you know, I hear some good Disco music, all freak out. Let, like, let's freak out over this because this is a little bit much, right? Um, how do you make sense of what's happening and the order and uh, what, what's, what's trying to be accomplished in this moment? And I'll say that morning prayer is structured in a, in a two-part movement that actually in our service is very cleanly divisible at the moment of the welcome. That's how you know you're stepping from part one to part two. It's very purposeful where that's placed. But the first part of morning prayer, if we just look at it as a whole is this part. I'll just describe it as the word read. It's the part where we interact with the scriptures being read and the work that happens in that moment. All this stuff from the prelude, the voluntary, all the way through the grace, the grace of our Lord be with you all. You know, those kinds of things. All all that is one big cycle of the ministry of the word. Part one, the word read, okay? And then the second part is part two, from the welcome and the blessing of the children through the preaching to the dismissal and the voluntary. It's the word preached. So again, the worship service is about the word coming at us, doing something to us. And the word coming at us first is the word read. The word coming at us second is the word preached. It's this two-part structure. And even that helps us to break it down a little bit and zoom out and see the forest for the trees. Recognize that we're dealing with a two-movement worship service when we're engaging in morning prayer together. 
But I want to get even more personal and devotional and uh, spiritual and physical than that. I'd like to describe the journey of morning prayer with this kind of uh, shape to it. This is the first half. Part one looks like this. And um, we want to describe it as a journey from where we are. There's earth down there. (laughs) um, To God's heart. The first half of morning prayer is a journey to take us from where we're at. Where we're at. Straight to God's heart. Straight to the heart of the Father. Where... Just like the Apostle John, we're laying on the bosom of Jesus, talking to him intimately, sharing our intimate thoughts and hearts. And so to give you a sense of how the first half kind of works with that, here's how the elements work. And goodness, it's starting to look complicated, right? But that's why I've also printed, I know the text is small. I printed it out for you in your packet. And you can look on the third page, the journey of morning prayer, part one, the word read. And you can keep that with you as a little indicator of how this goes. What I would describe this as, this this arc here, is kind of like an emotional and a theological journey. A journey that we are, that the liturgy takes us on to get us from earth, (laughs) from our sort of place to the heart of God. That's the contour there. And so as we go through morning prayer for these next two or three weeks, we're going to be walking through uh, this cycle. But even as we look at it real quick, the voluntary begins, the, and I'll describe that, the hymn and procession, the opening sentences, and then there's an invitation to confession. So it's lifting our spirits, taking us somewhere, giving us a, a vision for how grand and how great God is. When we hear it in the hymn, we hear it uh, in the opening sentences. And then all of a sudden, just like Isaiah was confronted with with God in the beginning chapters of Isaiah, his instinctual response had to be, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean... I've seen the holiness of God, and what I must do is confess. So there's a big drop, right? An emotional drop, a feeling of heaviness that goes into the minister saying, we need to prepare our hearts to confess our sin. And then there's a huge lift, a resurrecting lift, right after the confession of sin when the minister declares the forgiveness that is found in Jesus. And from that spot, we start moving toward these cycles of the Word of God being read. And we find ourselves moving closer and closer to the heart of God. We respond uh, by the Word of God being read and us responding to that in these cycles of of a scripture reading and then a, a song response, a scripture reading, then a song response. By claiming faith, the Word of God births faith in the creed. So we say, I believe in this God. And then we enter into something much more intimate because we start entering closer to the Father. It's like we've entered into the throne room. And from there, we can start to say, I need these things, Lord. You know, we're closer to Him. And when you get closer, you can start asking for those things that you need. And that's what this whole cycle of prayer is about all the way. And we're at that place, that intimate place of being wrapped in the arms of the Father and being able to just give to Him our prayers and our supplications, our need, all the things that we're asking for as a church and as individuals, right? So the first half is this journey of the word read until we get to that place of, of the grace, all right? The second part, the word preached. Now that we're close to God's heart, now that we've made our request to Him, we're ready for Him to reveal Himself to us, And so the preaching happens where Christ chooses to reveal himself. 
And then once that happens, it's a journey from God's heart back into the world. A journey from God's heart back into the world. And here's how the elements of part two fit into that. You have that in your second handout. God reveals himself to us. Revelation in the preaching. Welcome in the blessing, the hymn and the sermon. It's kind of preparing us for God saying, uh, you have come to me and asked for requests and I will answer you with the preaching of my word about and declare my love for you, remind you of my faithfulness to you, remind you that I will not depart from you. All those things. And in response, as we prepare to go back into the world, we say, God, in response to your declaration of love, I give myself to you, the offertory, and I praise you and worship you in response. It's the natural fruit of the gospel working in your heart. And then the closing prayers and the blessing and the hymn and the dismissal, which says, uh, let us go to love and serve the Lord, right? Thanks be to God. Let us go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God. Because there's a, there's a mission. Now that you've been renewed in God, go forth and be his people, his ambassadors, in the world. So again, that first half, going back to the first half, the word read, it's a journey from where we are to God's heart. We begin worship at a distance. God takes us on a journey that woos us toward him. We start out alienated from God and we end on his lap, laying our heads on his breast and asking for things from our daddy. From alienation to adoption. From judged to justified. From strangers to sons. From delinquents to daughters. From who shall ascend my holy hill to this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. From where we are to God's heart. This verse from Hosea 2.14 summarizes it. Therefore, behold, God says, I will allure her, that's you, and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. This is the God that we have that longs for worship to be a wooing of your and my hard heart to a place of intimacy and intimate fellowship where we feel close to him by the blood of Jesus brought into that very throne room by our worship leader, our one true liturgist in the sanctuary, as the book of Hebrews calls him, led by Jesus. Jesus presents us to the Father in him. And we come before the Father and are able to ask, with all the rights and privileges of sons and daughters of the King, for anything in his name. In the name of Jesus we come. This is this intimate gathering. And then God speaks to us in the wilderness. Having wooed us to his heart, he speaks tenderly to us, Share these, shares these words with us and says, Child, now that you've heard my love for you again, because I know you've forgotten this week, I send you back out to share that love with others. Isn't that a beautiful motion of what uh, morning prayer is? And I know that the experience of that doesn't always feel like that, but that's the arc. That's the shape. That's where we're, in, we're intended to go uh, and the journey that we're intended to take. It really is something of uh, a feeling and sense of intimacy, right? So uh, before we go on, any questions about that? Any thoughts about the overall arc and structure of, of morning prayer? Just in your words, Zach, what does the line between 
signify? Just yeah. Um, it's, it signifies our emotional and theological journey. Like I imagine that if you, if you sort of think of, um, if you think of this on a grade of emotions and sort of affects and dispositions on the lower half as being those dark, heavy, but really real and human feelings, that's what we're going to feel at these moments. And then the bright emotions, the light emotions start to get this way. And, and also just the, the general sense of uh, away from God and toward God. You know, what we might feel if we're separated from God versus if we're near God's heart. And so it represents kind of a journey of faithful feelings through the story and the narrative of the gospel. Uh, and I, I really don't shy away from saying it's an emotional journey just as it is a theological one. Because I think I've described the, the theological arc, the sense of how we move from alienation to adoption. you know. Uh, but it's never divorced from the way it's experienced. Ultimately, you, I hope that we start experiencing worship as this journey into intimacy and then this, uh, this sending out into the world. You know? Other questions or thoughts? I half wonder, if I'm an honest pastor, if people are going, I've never once felt it like this. And I won't ask you to raise your hands. But I just know it's true, and I think there's a variety of reasons why this is the case. You know, we're frail, we're 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 fragile, and it takes a bit of attending, as as the reformers might say, attending to the liturgy, to sort of hear this and allow. And then there's all kinds of ways in which we can be distracted from our own lives and devices, and maybe children or pews, you know, and the the uh, kneelers just cr- crashing down during certain points. Right? There's all sorts of things to distract us from hearing this very simple set of words that guide us from God's heart and back out into the world. But my hope is that maybe, just maybe, after this general sense of the ark, we might start feeling and experiencing the work of the Word of God. Again, tuning our ears to hear that gospel a little bit more clearly. Yes, talk about that. Yes. Of just needing to pray. Yep. When I don't have the words, I feel like that gives me the words. Yep. And you, you start off. Hallowed be thy name. Exactly. You know, and then we go, forgive us. <laughs> and uh, then we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, right? It's got that arc. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <coughs> I'm taking a course from Mark Dillonet out of Peace of the Evening. Uh, I don't know if you can trust that guy. The question arose about liturgical churches from a person in the class who does not attend, quote, a liturgical church. Sure. The path to me, or, or the, the, the glory of morning prayer and having the set sort of discipline of prayer and thanksgiving and morning prayer and in the Holy Eucharist is that no matter what the frame of mind we come to the service with, we are exposed to it. Yeah. And it is revealed to us. And we have we have the option or the choice or the willingness to accept what we're going to hear. Right. We don't always come with a pure heart and a clear mind. Right. But it's always there. Yeah. And it's something upon which we can rely to bring our thoughts and minds back to where they ought to be. Right. I love that. I love that. And there's a sense in which we come 
And we either come resisting the work of the Word of God on us, or we start taking our hands off the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel, right? Um, we, we take our hands off the wheel and let, let God take us on that journey. And there's a bit of intentionality that comes with that moment of either saying, I'm going to receive the work of God on me today, or I'm going to resist it, and I'm going to sort of stay at a distance, right? Um, God is a, a gracious and wooing God like that, yes. Very different, very different. Yep, um, it's it's very different in experience. And I will tell you, when Cranmer set this thing up, he uh, there was so much that he felt he had to reorient himself. And that actually is a wonderful segue into what I'm going to talk about right now. I want to give you, uh, yeah. Can I just make one quick comment? Yeah. I grew up very nominal Roman Catholic. Uh huh. Um, and the sense of when you come before the Lord of your brokenness and sinfulness. Right. I learned that there. Yeah. Um, and I sort of lost that when I went to a non-denominational church mm. where there's no confession. Many times there's no confession of sin at the beginning. Right. Uh, and of course I find it here and I have <clears throat> But so in that sense, I I do find some parallels. There are. There are. The um, You know, my, I was just at a worship conference this week up in Louisville at Southern Seminary. And the big uh, aha for a lot of these folks who are uh, mostly... By the way, I spoke about Thomas Cranmer to a bunch of Southern Baptists. How strange is that? (laughs) Like 21st century, what kind of world do we live in? Freak out! Like we're going crazy, right? Um, And the big sort of aha for them was starting to wake up, we need to be confessing our sin here. Like I heard that as a constant refrain among them. And that's something that's something that is part of uh, the Roman rites and liturgies is to understand our grave mortality and sinfulness before God. Uh, it just the difference between the liturgies are how is that answered? <laughs> is that answered by my works or the work of Christ? Right. You know, and, uh, and it's not, I'm not as simple as I'm making it right now, but yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, I want to talk about morning prayer real quick. Oh, not yet. So, um All right. Morning prayer and evening prayer that Cranmer set up as some introductory remarks was a condensation of the Catholic breviary. And the breviary was this book of offices, daily offices is what they called them, that good Christians, mostly monks and priests by then, but good Christians would perform every three hours. You'd enact and engage in a liturgy, eight daily offices per day. Before the sun came up, and then one more before the sun was fully up, then one when the sun was up, then one right before noon, then noonday, you know, eight of those offices you were to do. And Cranmer said, even just the the sheer amount and structure of that just is way too works righteousy. You know, it, it just sort of gets people in the framework of, you know, I'm doing all this stuff for God. And so Cranmer took all those eight daily offices and condensed them into two that he called morning and evening prayer. And so morning prayer is a condensation and a reorganization of the Catholic breviary for the first half of the day. Um, that, that would be one thing I want to point out. And it's, it's his vision of justification by faith alone, that we had come to God by faith, not by works, that drove this condensation. Because he didn't want us to be spending our time just doing all this stuff for God. He wanted us to experience God's love and grace and wooing power but not sort of get hung up that I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And so he was just interested in cleaning up 
that thing so that the word, God's word of finished work in your life could come through more clearly. And so if you compare morning prayer to those liturgies, it's in, it, you know, I showed you the complexity of it. With what Cranmer was working with, it would have been four or five times as complex. I promise you. There would have, I would have had that, you show you several slides of that many words for you to get, uh, what was in this, this breviary. All right. Um, uh, another thing to point out is that morning prayer in, in early England was called the choir offices. Three, and have you, any of you heard that term before, the choir office? The reason it was called the choir office was partially because it wasn't performed at the table by the, by the officiant. It was performed in the chancel. You know, you think about our sanctuary, you think about where the table is. And what, what would be the difference of feeling if, if someone were officiating the liturgy from the table? Versus from the chancel, there'd be a big difference, right? There'd be a sense of nearness and intimacy associated with that performance. So that's why um, it's called the choir offices, because it's meant to invite people to to feel this sense of intimacy. It's one of the reasons why we have our liturgy being performed by our liturgists up front, closer to the people, because we're trying to give this sense that we're all in this together. This is an intimate thing. Yes. Could you give a definition of office. Office. Uh, office just mean yeah, it's a kind of an old English word for uh, daily liturgy, a sort of daily devotional liturgy, which is where we get our word officiant. That's why the people who lead the liturgy are the people who lead the daily office, the officiant, right? Man, I, even coming here, all the words, the vocabulary shifts that I needed to go through. A cafeteria is called a refectory. You know, uh, a, a, a central hall is called Klingman Commons, right? A janitor is called a sexton. Who else says that but, but Episcopalians and Anglicans, right? And there's just a lot of these words. So it's a, it's like a big wall that we all need to go over a vocabulary shift, right? It's a hard in. It's like a, you know, and gang, you get beat in. It's like that. It's that sort of idea is, you know, all this vocabulary, right? Office. What in the world's an office? What's an efficient? What's a lector? You know, we never use these words in culture. So it is kind of, uh, confusing. Uh, the other thing I want to point out that Cranmer did that was unique in this time and was very reformational move. The eight offices, if you walked through those eight uh, offices of the breviary throughout a day, you wouldn't be confessing your sin and hearing absolution until the end of the day. It would be in prime or in compline that you'd hear those later times of the day. Why? It's a theological reason. You wake up kind of in, in the Roman mindset, you wake up kind of in a, in a blank slate. And then over the course of the day, you kind of sin a little bit. And so the Roman perspective was looking at outward sins as being what we need to confess. And one of the reasons that Cranmer said, I'm going to put confession and absolution right at the beginning of morning prayer, right when you wake up, was to say, we wake up sinners. I wake up already in the negative <laughs> because it's not just about sins. It's about sin, right? And this is a very reformational insight. That was a, that was a point of debate between uh, the reformers and those who were Roman Catholic was whether what they called concupiscence, whether this sort of propensity and uh, this thing in us that leans towards sin and wants to do sin, whether that was sin itself. The reformers said yes. Concupiscence is uh, something that's guilty before God as well. Even the desire, even what's inside. They felt like Jesus taught that. That sin emerges out of the heart. It's not just stuff we do. And frankly, a lot of religion beyond Roman Catholicism today is a lot of behavior management. Right? 
And that's that's what Christianity has become to the watching world is manage. Uh, Christianity preaches this word that says, you know, if you want to be a Christian, your behavior has to change, right? And that's the antithesis, the antithesis of what the heart of Christianity is all about. The heart of Christianity is all about the fact that we, we've we failed the project of changing our behavior because we need a heart transplant. And the only one can do that is one who has perfectly lived and died on our behalf, Jesus. And so Cranmer at the front end wanted to say, we need to hear that word, that killing word that tells us that we are sinners and we need to come before him that way. And then the word that makes alive, that does that, that word uh, on us and in us and through us. Okay. Now I want to look at the actual liturgy. I want us to open up to that first page there. And just, again, we've got all these awesome Episcopalian Old English names. What in the world is a voluntary, right? Why is it called a voluntary? I mean, I've heard other churches call it a prelude. Why do we call it a voluntary? Because long ago, when this thing was first added to the service, it was typically a piece that the organist chose of their own volition. They improvised. They didn't play a set of written music. They played a voluntary, something that they were just improvising on. So like uh, they volunteered this out of their will, not from someone else's previously used or written music. That's why it's called a voluntary, even though nowadays that sort of lost its meaning because normally the prelude is not something that our organists are improvising on. They're just playing uh, something that they've seen written. But, you know, we like our old words, even though no one knows what a refectory is. We still use it, right? It just sounds more dignified in English, right? Um, what can you do during a voluntary? What can we do? Uh, several things. And this is going to bring up an interesting thing about the culture of our church and where I and the other ministers would encourage us to go because of where we lean, right? What, what I encourage you to do during a voluntary when, when things... And, and get there early so that you can kind of prepare is, is prep your Bible for the readings so you can know where they are. Because again... If we want to encounter the Word of God, what we want to get away from is having to sort of flip and move, right? And and get the next thing that's in line. So the more prepared we are with these things, the better we can experience what the Word of God is doing in worship. Prep your hymnal. You know those hymnal boards? They've got numbers on them and they're actually helpful. They're actually helpful. So you don't have to look, wait, what hymn are we on? You just look. We've got these wooden boards with these old school awesome numbers on them that look like marquees from the you know 60s and 50s, right? When, uh, and they're helpful. I was just, Abby and I were just commenting and, I was, and Abby was saying, you didn't notice? Because I was just noticing them for the first time these last few weeks, honestly. <laughs> or notice, I knew that they were there, but I never sort of picked up on, hey, that's kind of useful, you know? Um, <laughs> And I always thought for the longest time when Andrew was doing the announcements that he had the hymn number memorized. No, he's just looking over at the hymn board over there, right? Uh, and so I just, I was like, I was amazed. And I realized, Andrew, I'm not as impressed with you. And yep, that's right. So um, use that to prepare, you know, for the, the hymns that are going to be sung. Pray. Pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help as you walk through the liturgy. Ask and say, God, I want to be the, the kind of person that allows your word of God to pierce my soul uh, today, that allows your word to do its work on me. I need, but a bunch of me needs to get out of the way and I don't even know how to do it. So would you just sort of shove me where you want me to go? A prayer like that is honest and beautiful and God loves to give good gifts to his children. And so asking the active Holy Spirit to do that work on you is a marvelous request, right? Center your heart. And I would say, talk to other people. Community and communal interaction is a powerful way to prepare for worship. Why? 
Because worship isn't my own private devotional experience with God and everyone else just happens to be around. That's a myth. That's actually more in line with uh, a lot of charismatic notions about what worship is, is everyone having their own individualistic encounter with God. And it's also in line with medieval Roman idea. Because in medieval Rome, your job was to sit there, shut up, not understand what's going on, what's being spoken in Latin up there until the bell rings and something happens in communion. You're just supposed to be quiet and maybe read some prayers quietly and have your own private devotional. The reformers were very interested in reminding us that this is a communal experience where the body of Christ, the body of Christ gathers and are together. And a wonderful way to do that is to greet your neighbor and say, I'm so excited to be able to worship with you today. How was your week? That's very appropriate. Now, some of us will find that in conflict with something that we hold dear, which is to prepare our hearts in quietness to come before the Lord. And I don't want to minimize that, but Advent very much airs on that side. There's kind of a, a spectrum that we want to be able to um, we want to be able to straddle because when I read the Psalms, I read two kinds of approaches to God, and they're both equally valid and helpful to our formation. One approach is to approach Him in His um, in majesty and awe and quietness and stillness, and the other is to enter His courts with thanksgiving, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. And recognize that He is God, that He is among us. And so this kind of festive idea is part and parcel to being able to just connect with one another and greet one another, you know? It's, it's intimidating also, I will just say, for newcomers to come in and find no one speaking to them. Again, there are so many hurdles, as I've even described in our language at Advent, that just to make someone feel more welcome by telling them what's up and, and maybe saying, hey, the voluntary is a prelude, by the way, you know, <laughs> something like that. I've got a little insider knowledge for all this sort of uh, Episco speak, right? Uh, help them out. You know, we're all in this together. We're, we're trying to be in this okay, so together. Yeah. I, I, I have issues with this one. Sure. We're talking about five minutes or so right beforehand. Mm-hmm. We've had people right behind us with a full conversation. It's not just greeting each other. It's about something that went on during the week and that sure. really counters that that expression of the music. You don't go to a concert and expect, and I know this is not a concert. You don't it's go not. To expect people just in conversation the whole time. For, you can acknowledge people with a nod and a smile mm-hmm. and this, but in that, that five minutes, it, it does work against, at least me, in terms of, the right. And losing that because of chit-chat. I hear you. Um, and just five minutes of preparation beforehand. Yep. It's, I hear you. Pastoral pushback. Yeah. Right. Right. It's part of a whole, and you are affecting other people around you with that. I get it. I want to offer some pastoral pushback. Uh, Again, I wanted to affirm, as, as your minister, I'm captive to the Word of God here. And the Word of God tells me that both preparations are really appropriate for worship. And so as I listen to the Word of God encouraging me to prepare my heart to encounter His presence, I want to be able to honor that. At the same time, I, I hear the Word of God saying that this is a family affair and that there's a, there's a festive aspect to coming before the Lord and I think that that means probably at different times and at different seasons, we're leaning in for one or the other. And I will tell you, Advent leans one way. And that's why I'm kind of talking about this a little bit more is I, I would love for us to find some happy middle, recognizing that some people are wired 
for more of that. Uh, and, and some people are wired more the other way and they both need to be pressed a little bit to say there are times to, to approach God in this way and in that way. And then there's just the missional piece of me encouraging folks that, goodness, we don't realize sometimes how, uh, how difficult it is for a newcomer to come into a room like that where everybody's, where no one's really greeting them and they don't have a chance just to, to enter in. And again, I think it's, it's something to hold in tension. I don't think we can either fight or abandon either of them. One more question, then we've got to sing. Yeah. So I was just going to say, what you talked about talking, my first experience in an Episcopal church as a student in Scotland, I was totally lost, but this little Scottish old lady got next to me with the liturgy and very quietly Awesome. Me. Bless her. Do you remember her name at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that maybe we can do that. With yes. I, you know, I want to give parents permission. I mean, I'm trying to lean over to my son and point and tell him, hey, this is the point where we say to God, we're sorry. You know, we need to give ourselves permission to engage this stuff more fully. And it was helpful to you, wasn't it? We made a difference. Uh, yeah. And just to be able to. But so, again, my Southern Baptist background, it was, there was no reverence. Right. Right. With the worship service. It was talking, talking, talking. Right. And then worship started, and it's like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. My dad, who's a Southern Baptist pastor, came with us to church and first experience in Episcopal church, and we asked him, you know, what did you think? And he said, uh, I was struck by the reverence. Yeah. And so how, you know, I'm hearing you, and I, and I, you know, that middle because yep. as a newcomer, that was right. powerful to me. Right. Um, so I don't want to lose that. I don't, and I don't think we will. Again, I'm not concerned about other churches. God has called me to be a minister at this church. And um, because of that, I, I'm asking the question, where is Advent weighted on this on this scale? How do we be faithful to Scripture at Advent? And that's kind of why I'm encouraging this. I don't, we've got plenty of stuff that will keep us from ever sort of feeling flippant, I think. It'll be, you know, it'll be really tough. We've got a lot of things that are very helpful towards the reverence, even our architecture, until we tear this building down, there's always going to be a quality of reverence that we just kind of have that a lot of churches don't have. So I, you know, I, I think that we will. And I am, I'm struck by it too. And in a day and age where the, the broader evangelical church has just lost this sense, praise God that we're at a place that gets this. We've got that in spades and praise God for that, right? Okay. So I love this hymn, My Shepherd Will Supply My Need. The reason I love it is the setting of Psalm 23. The other reason I love it is, uh, that it gets at this. That God is a God who woos and who loves and who longs to bring us to his heart. So with as hearty voices as you can, I'll try to give us a key that doesn't get it too high. Uh, I'd love us to sing this to close today. Okay. Uh, join me when you can. If you don't know the first verse, jump in on the second. It's, it's a beautiful lyrical uh, melody that, that just blesses me constantly. But let's sing. My shepherd will supply my need. Jehovah is his name. In pastures fresh he makes me feed. Beside the living stream. He brings my wandering spirit back when I forsake His way. 
and leads me for his mercy's sake in paths of truth and grace. When I walk through the shades of death, Thy presence is my stay. In word of Thy supporting breath Drives all my fears away. Thy hand inside of all my foes Doth still my table spread My cup with blessings overflows Thy oil anoints my head. The sure provisions of my God attend me all my days. Oh, may thy... love this line. Be mine abode, and all my work be praise. There would I find a settled rest, while others go and come. No more a stranger or a guest, but like a child at home. May morning prayer become for you and for me a sense that we are no longer a stranger or a guest, but a child at home. Grace and peace. Thank you.